Hello again, folks, and thank you for being with us for a busy edition of the CIAC cast. I am Joel Cookson, your host, and we are happy to have you along with us once again. The CIAC championship season is officially over with play wrapping up on Wednesday, and then the next few podcasts will deal with recapping some of that championship action. So as I suspected, we missed a podcast last week with all that championship activity, but we hope to be back to at least a somewhat regular schedule uh, for the remainder of the summer, and we'll continue to do that during the summer. Maybe uh, maybe an every other week sort of thing during the summer, but we will deal with that a little later. For now, we are looking back at the spring championships that wrapped up this past Wednesday, and we have a host of folks to help us do that today, starting off with Joe Morelli from the New Haven Register. He'll be talking to us about the golf championships. Then we've got a treat with our first ever student podcast guest, as Weston tennis standout Kimmy Guerin will be with us. Then Doug Bonjour of the Westin, the Westport News will talk some boys volleyball. And then we'll have Jim Bransfield of the Middlestown Press to wrap it up with some baseball talk. So lots to get to today, and I will just try to get out of the way. So before we get to that, we will do our normal things you might have missed on CIAC Sports. Lots of championship content on CICsports.com, and in particular the Tournament Central page, of course. Two championship editions of Linked Up that feature the stories about each of the championships teams of the spring from that school's local paper. So a nice way to sort of get an all-encompassing view of the championship season, encourage folks to check that out. Also, some feature stories on the website as well. We've got a new story from Max Preps discussing the remarkable weekend that Oxford High School enjoyed, highlighted by its baseball team capping the three-championship weekend with its first championship. We've also got a feature story about the dominant team pitching and defense performances that helped Amity Baseball and that Oxford softball team claim their championships this past weekend. As we mentioned, Tournament Central is always a place to get caught up with lots of good stuff, so encourage folks to check that out. That's got all the championship results from the spring and the fall and the winter if you want to go back in time quite a bit. And some new links on there as well. It links to the on-demand or DVD purchases of the championship games that we were able to broadcast, as well as photo galleries of the championship. So if you want to get uh, some some video or some photos from the championship events, Tournament Central has you covered there as well. And if you're tired of all this talk about the spring championships, which hopefully nobody is because we're about to do a whole lot of it on this podcast, but if you are and want to start looking ahead, the site on CICsports.com has you covered there as well as the fall sports schedules have been posted on the website as well as the tournament packets for the fall are also available. So those looking to start getting revved up for the fall have plenty of opportunity at CIACsports.com. So lots of good stuff there. That wraps up our things have you might have missed. So now let's dive right into chatting with our guests. We're sort of going to go in chronological order here with our championships. And so we'll get started with golf. The championships that were crowned over the past few weeks uh, spread out due to some rain. And the competitions did have to deal with some rainy uh, conditions out there, which doesn't really separate them from any of our other sports. But we did have some great competition on the golf courses the past few weeks as CIAC champions were crowned. And we reached out to one gentleman who covers the sport very closely throughout the year. We are joined now by Joe Morelli of the New Haven Register, the high school sports editor, but also a uh, in charge of their golf coverage for the Register and wanted to reach out to him. We had several golf championships uh, dating a week or so back now after 
some rain uh, toyed with those championships as well, but we got those in a couple weeks ago, and then the most recent championship was uh, this past Monday. So, Joe, thanks for being with us. My pleasure, Joe. Happy to have you, and uh, I want to look back now on the uh, the, the four boys and uh, girls championships that have taken place over the last few weeks, and, and just ask you to start out here, what stood out to you uh, looking at those championships that uh, have happened here in the last couple weeks? Well, obviously it's a local flavor for us, Joel, at the register, but um, being there on Monday at Tallwood, again, that was the one, that, Division Two that was postponed uh, a week obviously because of the rain, while the others did go on on Monday in Division uh, 3 and 4. But the kid, Razmi Klong, a uh, sophomore on North Haven, shooting a 67, yeah. a five-under par round, uh, 15 years old. And, of course, he's never seen before at Tallwood Country Club in Hebron. And as we and I found out, and, and, and the North Haven coach found out, it's the lowest 18-hole score since the, since the CIAC kept uh, track of CIAC scores in, I believe, 1946. Yeah. I mean, that's an incredible round of golf. Yeah. And obviously he was the malice by three shots over uh, Eddie Hill of Watertown. But that, that's just incredible playing, no matter who you are. Absolutely. When you uh, when you talked to him, what did he kind of say was the, the key to putting that round together after that, uh, as you said, sort of uh, what appears to be record-setting uh, championship performance? Well, when I asked him if he was surprised, he said no. So I guess his career best was a 69. So so he's been in under 70 before, unlike unlike most of us who, who never who only dream about it and watch watch it in the U.S. Open, uh, Joe. Yeah. But he basically said the usual. You know, he kept it in the fairway. He hit irons when he had to. He hit dro- driver when he had to. He made his putts. But uh, he really didn't say a whole heck of a lot. He's probably nervous because he obviously <laughs> hasn't gotten interviewed a lot by reporters. Eventually, when he plays more rounds like this, he will have more of a flavor of how to handle this kind of thing. But I'm sure he's just he's a steady game. His coach said he struggled early in the year and struggling for him is the high thirties for nine hole scores. But eventually he started to play better. Um, he's obviously the best player on that team. He was an all Southern Connecticut Conference performer because he was among the top golfers at their meet at Racebrook Country Club in Orange. And then obviously he put it all together uh, on Monday at Tallwood with a 67. Yeah. Uh, also at that championship, another one of your sort of uh, schools from your coverage area, Daniel Hand, came away from the came away with the title. What what uh, sort of stood out to you from what Daniel Hand put together to able to uh, capture that Division Two championship? Well, they were the favorite in the SEC, and they were the favorite in Division Two. It's I found in sports, for, at least for high school kids, it's a lot easier to win it the first time than to defend. Yeah. In case of the SEC, they win it the first time. But the fact that they went undefeated in the SEC, they win the SEC championship, and then they have the pressure of Division Two, and they win that by seven shots over New Canaan, who had won the previous three before the last two years. It's quite an accomplishment. And, again, it's on a course where these, some of these guys have never seen a course before. And, you know, I mean, Brian Carlson is their best golfer. He's committed already as a junior to go to Purdue. He shot 71, and he's unhappy with his round. I mean, which is kind of nice. And they had three guys, I believe, or four guys shooting the 70s. So, and that's how you win tournaments, is by shooting scores like that and then being a 299. And obviously the coach was thrilled because he knew his kids could do it, but just for them to go out and deal with the pressure all season long, and never lose a match. 
it's, it's quite an accomplishment. Yeah, absolutely. Certainly uh, an impressive effort from them uh, in earning that. Looking at sort of the, you know, the boys and girls champion uh, in golf, interesting, it seemed to be one sport where there was uh, real, really a lot of the, you know, state sort of represented. You had Pomparag winning in Division One and Holy Cross in three, Morgan in four, and Berlin in five. Did anything jump out at you from what you uh, were able to see or have sort of read about those, uh, those other championships? Anything in particular that uh, caught your eye? Well, I'll tell you what, the Morgan coach, uh, Eric Bergman, I had seen him in the off season, and he told me he thought his team was going to be pretty good in Morgan. Now, what I was unaware of and what was detailed in a good story by uh, my colleague, Chris Hunt, is that Morgan lost, I believe, all 20 matches three years ago. Yeah. So for Morgan to have accomplished in the rain winning Division Four State Championship over a team, Coventry, who was six strokes better than them going in the center, obviously, the regular season. It's all right, an accomplishment. It's the first title in school history. They're led by Gabe Van Ness and Max Bug, and they both shot in, uh, very good scores up at um, the Division Fours. And, and they won the Shoreline Conference Championship, too, on their home course, granted, but they still won it for the first time in 21 years. Yeah. So that's those are the stories. Cause you, the Pop Rocks, the Greenwiches, even the Hands, the, a lot of these teams who paint in, they're in contention and expected to do well every year. So a team like Morgan, again, three years ago, losing 20 matches to, to win a state championship, that's quite a turnaround. And to me, that's as good a story as you're going to see in golf all season long. Yeah, really an impressive display of uh, resiliency to come back from that kind of uh, struggles early on, uh, you know, in the team's history. So impressive work there from Morgan. So um, do you see sort of that Morgan story and then maybe Daniel Hand going undefeated as kind of the biggest stories of the year? Were there other things that that jumped out at you really over the course of the season? Uh, Anytime a team can go undefeated, again, Hand is quite an accomplishment. And one of the teams they beat was Morgan. On Morgan's home course, so that that was an accomplishment. Uh, um, you know, it's. I think there are a lot in our area. There seem to be a lot of the golfers. We got Brian Carlson, and a number of his team, and Eric Dietrich from Cheshire, and so on. I mean, obviously Gabe Van Ness from Morgan, and and, and this kid AJ Cooney from North Brantford, who was all state in Division Three. We didn't have any teams, but we had one individual, and he made all state. You think he shot like seventy five? Uh, in the uh, Division Three title uh, championship, also in the rain. So, I mean, there's some good golf to be played in this area. Unfortunately, I don't think the kids get the recognition as much because they're not in a different part of the country. Yeah. So people don't think that they can play golf, and part of the problem is they, they had to start so late because the weather. Um, but I think there are some good golfers, and hopefully a lot of these guys will go on to college and prove themselves uh, wherever they're going that they could be obviously – uh, key additions to the college teams that's going to play on. Yeah, I know that I spoke, and I honestly can't remember it, but we spoke uh, at some point sort of previewing the spring, talking about the weather. Um, you know, obviously it was a late start for, for all the spring sports this year. Sure. Uh, did you get a sense talking to people um, that that really impacted the, the way the golf season played out this year, or sort of by the end of the year did it kind of work itself out in the wash from, from what yeah, you were I able to Yeah, I think it worked discover? itself out in the wash. I honestly think I mean, I think a number of golfers don't pick up a club until March, Yeah. until tryouts start. Um, 
I think if there was any benefit to a, a fall season, in my mind, these guys are playing through the summer, so they'll be warmed up and they won't come in cold. But I think the good golfers find a way to play well no matter what the weather conditions are. Again, two-year championships are held basically in the rain, and they're putting up very good numbers. I mean, a freshman from Fairfield Prep, Andrew Scaretta, shot 70 in a Division One championship match. Again, it was the next day. It wasn't raining that day, but he puts up a great number. Yeah. Uh, and in and, and, and the, and the toughest division there is. Sure. And obviously, like A.J. Cooney from North Bradford shoots it in the rain and the Division Four case. I mean, if you can play, you'll score no matter where you are, no matter what the conditions are. Yeah. So yeah. I, I don't think it matters – that much, but I think it all evens out in the end. If you can play, you'll do fine. Yeah. If you can't, well, you know what happens. Yes, so. and we're unfortunately a little too familiar with that, or at least speaking for myself. I well, will, uh... <laughs> uh, yeah, some of us, some of us never had a career, Joel. You know, some of us just color golf because we can, <laughs> we can admire what other people do. Exactly. So. It's nice to see other people be able to uh, to execute some of those things. And uh, I will give a little bit of a plug here for for folks who want to check out. We uh, this year the CIAC we we expanded our our online coverage of the golf championships. So if you go to the tournament central page and and look at the the details for each of the championships, you can see all kinds of uh, teams and individual breakdowns as well as uh, you know scorecards for every player that uh, competed. So encourage folks to to look at that and and hopefully uh, get some more information there and something we're hoping to expand again as we uh, we go forward. So a little shameless promotion there as well for the, the golf fans out there. Well, and, it absolutely gave opportunity for people to see what everyone did so there was no uh, no surprises. I mean, you can see what how, he's, how Rasmus shot a 67. I mean, six birdies and one bogey is pretty impressive golf. But, yeah, that's, that's a good addition the CIA team made this year from the past. Yeah, and uh, the uh, Evan uh, Grenis from uh, Glastonbury, who who tied for the medal as the Division One, started off his round double bogey, bogey, and then still finished two under, um, birdieing uh, five holes, uh, going the rest of the way. So an impressive bounce back from him as well. You can check well, that absolutely. out. Absolutely, To start off three over and and to shoot under par pretty good golf no matter who you are yeah that's a that's a nice comeback so joe we uh appreciate you taking the time out from the the yankees game that you would uh probably prefer to be watching uh to talk a little golf and uh hopefully the rain will allow us uh mediocre golfers to get out uh sometime in the next couple weeks and we thank you for for joining us and uh sharing your insights with us always nice to hear from joe and we appreciate him coming on and chatting with us and talking to little boys and girls golf so thanks to him you can check out his work at nhr the nh register excuse me dot com so our next guest uh is a first i believe our first ever student to join us on the podcast and she's had an eventful spring the uh ciac girls individual tennis championships has been in existence in some form since 1928 although there was a about a 30-year break there uh, until it resumed full-time and uninterrupted in 1971 and uh over that time, only one other individual has done what our next guest has done, which is win the Open Individual Championships, or previously, uh, before 1989, there was actually class individual champions, became the Open Championship in 1989. And since that time, only one other person, Patty Murin of Immaculate, has done what Kimmy Guerin 
completed this uh, earlier in the spring, which is winning the Open Championship all four years of her high school career. So we wanted to reach out to her and talk to her a little bit about that achievement. Very happy to have on the phone now Kimmy Guerin from Weston High School. Kimmy said a little bit of uh, history a little uh, earlier in the week or late last week when she won her fourth individual Open championship in girls tennis, becoming just the second player to do that. So, Kimmy, thanks very much for being with us. Thanks for having me. Oh, very happy to have you to talk about uh, some of this history being made here. So want to uh, kind of start back at the beginning, uh, if you can uh, remember, when you, you know, were a freshman and won that first, uh, you know, Open Championship, um, were you even sort of thinking about four championships at that point? Did you have any sort of thought of that? Or what was sort of your going through your head when you won that fourth one, or excuse me, your first one in your freshman year? Um, I mean, honestly, I wasn't expecting to win that one at all because the girl I played was a senior, and she was obviously way more experienced than me. But once I won that one, I mean, I always knew it was a possibility because every time I would, like, play a match, every reporter would always say, like, oh, you're going for, like, four state championships. So, I mean, um, it was always, like, in my head as a possibility, but I never knew if I was actually going to be able to accomplish that. Yeah. So when you – so is that sort of after the first one when you started to realize that this idea of winning four was going to be sort of a, a thing that you were going to get asked about quite a bit as uh, as you went along in your career? Yeah, definitely right after the first one because the questions just kept coming like right after I won that. So yeah. And did you uh, you know did you start to feel like there was more and more pressure every year, or did you kind of try to just focus on um, you know each championship as it came up? Um, there was so much pressure every year, like, even after my sophomore year, it was just like, oh, more and more pressure, but, um, I mean, you can't really think about it, you just have to take it one match at a time, and every time I get to state opens, that's what I was, that's what I was doing, so, like, that's how I ended up, I think, winning my four. Yeah. When you, um, you know, obviously, you know, you faced different competitors every time, but there were, are there any ways sort of that, that jump out at you as to how the, you know, the different championships were, were different, you know, the different years were different? Is anything that, uh, you know, comes to mind in terms of how they were different uh, as you sort of went through your career? Um, I think my, I think each year was like kind of different. I played a freshman actually each year in the final, mm-hmm. which was, Obviously, like, kind of surprising because you don't think, like, a freshman's going to be able to make it to that. But, um, I mean, um, they were, like, different in just that, like, I was playing a different person every year. And, like, there's different game styles that come with that. So you always have to adjust your game to be able to, like, match up with that person. Right. Um, and so when you did, uh, you know, pull it off this year and, and earn that, that fourth championship, and uh, as you said, against a freshman again, which is kind of an odd uh, development, what were, your, uh, what were your feelings and reactions when that, uh, when that happened for you? Um, it was, like, really exciting, and, like, it's a lot of pressure off me because, like, obviously I said before, I've had that since my freshman year, so it just felt really good to be able to, like, finish it off like that. Anything sort of particular from that match that that stands out to you that you think you're going to remember any sort of pivotal moments or or sort of big uh, you know big points or anything like that from that from the the championship this year that uh, that stands out? Um, I think the whole first set will stand out to me just because I think I played like pretty well in that first set and I was able to start off really well in that. I think like led to me winning eventually just because I was once you get that good start you kind of just like roll from that point. So that was really helpful winning that first set so easily. Yeah. 
Um, obviously, you know, you and uh, your teammates at Weston have had quite a bit of team success as well over the, the course of your career with several team state championships. How are there or are there any differences sort of in how you prepare for the team championships and the team events as opposed to the, the individual competitions that you've had so much success with? Um, I mean, the team events are obviously more team-oriented, so you kind of have, like, more support from your team. And I obviously have a ton of support from, like, everyone during individuals, but just, like, I think I almost like team events better just because it's less pressure and, like, you have your teammates to, like, lean on and cheer for. So that's more fun, I think, the team events. Yeah. How are you? Uh, how are you sort of feeling now, or uh, now that the you know your your high school career has has wrapped up? Are you feeling nostalgic? Are you excited to to be moving on to college? What's the what's your sort of mindset like right now? Um, I'm definitely excited for college. I think I'm ready. It's been definitely like an exciting four years, but I'm definitely ready for the next um, competitions, like in college and stuff. So we'll see how that goes. Yeah. Um, when you sort of think back on your on your career, what do you think is uh, your high school career? What do you think you're gonna sort of remember most, or have sort of be the biggest the biggest memories that are gonna uh, stick with you? Um, definitely winning uh, the state uh, team states my freshman and sophomore year, and then like getting back to the final my senior year, and then obviously the four state opens. Well, it's um. Obviously, it's been, you know, have you ever, I'm just curious, have you ever met or, or spoken to the other person who has, uh, who who won the four championships before you? Um, I have not, but I've heard a lot about her, and I know she also won to Wake Forest, so that's oh, really? a coincidence. That's yeah. an interesting coincidence. She wasn't involved in the recruiting in any way? No, no, she, she yeah, she played for Wake, oh, no, 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 not at all, not with my recruiting. <laughs> no. <laughs> Well, that's uh, that is certainly interesting as well. So we, uh, Kimmy, we we thank you. Let you get back to your uh, your final week here. I guess uh, I believe your mom told me you're pretty much wrapping up classes this week. So uh, we'll let you yeah. get back to to what you're doing and uh, say congratulations once again. And it's certainly been a lot of fun for uh, the folks here in Connecticut to get to be able to watch you play. And we'll certainly be following your uh, your career as you move on to Wake Forest. So thanks very much and congratulations again. Thank you so much. Very appreciative that Kimmy was able to find the time to chat with us. Certainly a busy time of year for her and uh, remarkable accomplishments from that uh, fine student athlete. So we congratulate her and wish her the best going forward. Very happy to chat with her. We move on now to boys volleyball. We're going to focus now on one of the two uh, boys volleyball champions that were crowned just last weekend. We'll hopefully next week on the podcast be able to talk a little bit about our other uh, boys volleyball champion, but this time we're going to chat with Doug Bonjour of the Westport News, who has been following the Staples boys volleyball team all season long, and going to chat with us a little bit about their recent Class L championship. On the phone with us now is Doug Bonjour from the Westport News, and he's uh, been covering the Staples boys volleyball team all season long and wanted to uh, chat with him a little bit about the Wreckers uh, Class L State Championship. So, Doug, thanks for being with us. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Sure. So, obviously, uh, you know, big big victory for Staples, defeating Glastonbury in the Class L Championship. I um, want to sort of talk specifically to start about that title game and, and the tournament run. Um, what did you see as sort of the, the biggest difference maker for, uh, for Staples, particularly in that championship game and as well sort of during the tournament um, run to the, uh, to the championship? 
Uh, well, they kind of, you know, stuck to the same uh, same plan they did all year, just, you know, dominant just in that, uh, you know, big middle hitters, long, uh, and also they didn't make many mistakes. Um, you know, they, they dropped the first game of the only the third time all season, and, uh, you know, one of their wins that they didn't sweep. So, um, you know, that, that was kind of going to be the test of, you know, when they finally were dealt that adversity, whether they bounced back. And, you know, midway through the second game there, they had some, um, you know, big plays near the net, near the near the uh, sidelines, and they uh, overcame those. And that's what kind of put them over the top. So just I glossed it very you know, made some more mistakes in them, and they kind of took off from there. Yeah, you mentioned that that you know the is the team that other than an early early season loss really hadn't been tested all that much uh, throughout the course of the year. Did you see any sort of panic or anything when they did drop that opening uh, opening game to Glastonbury in the final? Did you did you get a sense that they were starting to panic a little bit, or did it seem like they uh, they battled through that kind of adversity fairly well? Well, you know, it's funny because the, the first game, uh, you know, I talked to uh, Lucas Grievers, their uh, junior middle hitter afterwards, who's named MVP of the match. Uh, you know, he, he mentioned they were a little tense the first game, maybe a little nervous, um, whatnot. I mean, it's their first time in the uh, first. Well, well, they had been in the finals in uh, 2010 and 11, but they lost both those. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the second game they. You know, Glastonbury threw them some, uh, you know, chances early on. Staples jumped ahead, 87. It was kind of back and forth, but um, I, I wouldn't say they were nervous. I mean, they were definitely they were definitely tested. You could definitely see, you know, they had to work a little bit harder for their points. So, yeah. Um, but but no, they stayed loose. Um, you know, volleyball was rhythm score, you know, if you let that get to you, you throw your game off at all, it's going to affect you. And no, I, I, they were a big post. Yeah. Um, and you sort of talked a little bit about, you know, looking at the, uh, their schedule, uh, you know, they did, their only loss, uh, came in the first match of the year against a very good Southington team that actually reached the, the semifinals as well. And then at that point on, they sort of, uh, started rolling. Um, did you sort of get the sense from, from following them that the team sort of, you know, regrouped a little bit, you know, maybe improved after that opening loss uh, to the season and sort of, you know, found its momentum as the season went along or, you know, were they sort of steady throughout the year? Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny because they came in with this, you just talked to them before the season and they came in just with this, especially the seniors with this extra, you know, drive to just get it done. Yeah. Uh, you know that class, they had won the, they won one FCA title and they won, and uh, you know their last state title was 2009. So, you know, especially wanted to finish it off. But uh, I, I think, yes, they they had some players step up. You know, they regrouped. Uh, John Chipro, their coach. Uh, you know, especially you know a lot of the players who kind of stepped forward as the year went on. Um, one in particular. Todd Goldstein is a junior uh, middle hitter. Um, at the same time, it's it's first game. Uh, you know, even the uh, Glastonbury coach after the final, he was asked about that whether you know not you take anything into 
the count with that because Glastonbury had played Southington a couple times, and um, you know he he chalked that up as the first game as well. I mean, I, a lot of these games you you know you you try and learn things as the season goes along, and I think that's what Staples did, and they just got better as the year went along. They found you know their lineup, and like I was saying before, the rhythm sports. So if you can kind of get into a groove there, you know you, you can take off. Yeah, and they obviously obviously were in a fairly good groove by the time the uh, the season finished up. You mentioned, you know, um, for for a lot of teams in the state, a three year you know drought without a title isn't really a drought. But uh, for a program that's had as much success as Staples has in boys volleyball, you know, that is a little bit of a a little bit of a drought for them. Uh, did you get any kind of feeling, you know, that the, this team was? you know, putting a little bit of pressure on itself to kind of to get back to that championship uh, tradition that they've had? And then what was the sort of feeling from them after they did win it uh, this time around? Yeah, yeah. And, um, to answer your first question, I do think, you know, there there was an extra, um, you know, desire to get it done. I mean, you always want to win a title, but especially for, you know, a program like that, that, is, that had been there twice, you know, a lot of us same players yeah. and lost it. Uh, you know, you certainly don't want to do that again. Especially, I mean, especially after the season they had, where they sure. just, you know, cruised through through the season. Uh, you know, afterward, they there's probably uh, you know sense of satisfaction, a little relief as well. Um, you know, a lot of those guys, seniors, you know, happy to finally uh, you know go out on a high note. I guess you could say so. But but I do think there was a sense of relief. I mean, when you when you go in, they weren't the number one seed; they were ranked third. But I mean, when you go in as one of the favorites, as they were after their dominant regular season, I mean, you, I think you always kind of uh, you know are, are just pleased to get it done in the end. Yeah, and as you said, those seniors, I'm sure, uh, had 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 that goal in in their sights uh, throughout the season, and were, and were very uh, very relieved, and I'm sure satisfied to to finish it off. So, an excellent season for Staples and uh, Doug Bonjour. We thank you very much for uh, for giving us a little insight into that championship run that Staples enjoyed, and you can check out his uh, his work at the Westport News. Doug, we appreciate it. Thanks very much. Great. Thanks for having me. Some great insight there on the Staples boys volleyball team, which was able to capture the Class L state championship. We thank Doug for all of his insight and covering the team. You can check out his work in a variety of places uh, at ctpost.com in particular to find out, to follow all of the stories he wrote about them over the course of the season. Last but not least, let's talk a little baseball. For those of you who were at the championships at Palmer Field last weekend, you heard quite a lot of this gentleman. He was on the mic doing the public address announcing, and now he is with us to recap the weekend's competition in the CIAC Baseball Championships. Very happy to have on the phone with me now Jim Brantsfield, who serves as a variety of uh, capacities, including a reporter for the Middletown Press And this past weekend. He spent uh, basically the majority of his weekend sitting in the press box at Palmer Field for the baseball championship. So, Jim, thanks for being with us today. My pleasure. So, just uh, you had a, sort of a bird's eye view of all the competition this weekend. The fans who were in attendance heard your voice over the uh, the public address system all weekend. So, wanted to get your take on what we saw here uh, with four champions being crowned over the weekend. 
So I guess just start out here. If you had one big takeaway from the weekend and the and the four championship baseball games, what would you say that would be? Well, I I think what the the tournament showed is that baseball has appeal. I, I think a lot of times you you hear about you know well baseball's not as popular as football nonsense nonsense and nonsense <laughs> and yet there were about probably five thousand people who came into Palmer Field over the weekend and you know what that five thousand people. That's more than attended the three football championship games on Saturday at the Rent back in December. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's got appeal. And I'm a baseball guy, so I kind of like that. Yeah, uh, certainly was a, it's a great, great atmosphere and just, a, you know, it, it's it's a big, certainly uh, enough seating for everybody, but has a has a very intimate feel, I think, does Palmer Field and makes for a very nice championship event. Um, so if we want to just sort of go through game by game here and talk a little bit about each of the four championships and, uh, we'll start with the, uh, the, the class S game, which turned out to be, uh, the culmination of a very big weekend for Oxford as they earned the championship and a victory over Cromwell. Uh, what in particular stood out to you from that, uh, championship game? Actually a couple of things. Um, I thought Oxford was, uh, not intimidated. In fact, I wrote that. Not intimidated by the surroundings, which is which might happen to a team that's kind of never been there. Mm-hmm. And they weren't intimidated. There were probably over a thousand people in the ballpark. Well, no, probably there were. And you know, it, when you're used to playing high school games on a Tuesday and a Friday afternoon in front of you know intimate friends and relatives, sure. all of a sudden that's different. And yet, the, I thought the kids handled it very well. I, I, I thought the team was. Very aggressive. I thought they brought the game to Cromwell. The second thing that I took out of that game was I thought Cromwell played very badly. Um, I covered Cromwell during the season. Uh, I covered the Legion team, which essentially is made up of many Cromwell players last summer. And I thought this was a very, very good baseball team. You know, a top five in the state. Uh, Mm -hmm. Much better than... And this is not to denigrate Class S at all, but but better than an S team. You know, people sort of think Class S and kind of down the you know the pecking order. Sure. I just thought they were really good, and I thought they came in and and just played about as badly as they could play. I mean, it happens, but yeah, I was kind of disappointed in them. I felt bad for those kids. Um, okay, so now we'll move on to the uh, the Class M game, which uh, took a few extra innings to settle. The uh, St. Joseph coming away with an extra inning victory over Northwestern. What jumped out at you with that contest? Well, first, it was the best game of the weekend. Um, it was, I thought, between two evenly matched teams mm-hmm. um, and very competitive. You know, the other games, you know, the other games, the scores were low, 2 nothing, 2 nothing, 4 nothing, but didn't have the drama of this one. Yeah. The other games, while they were two or four to nothing, at times seemed like seven, eight to nothing. Yeah. This game was terrific. I, I thought it was the best game by far of the weekend. Yeah, certainly. Uh, you know, you had that those the two teams kind of score early, and then you're just waiting to see who was uh, who would be able to break through and and earn the uh, the championship there. And uh, so certainly a, a great showcase for those teams. How about Class L, New Canaan uh, and Waterford, representing two different parts of the state, and uh, New Canaan coming away with the championship. What stood out to you? Well. First of all, uh, I think the game showed the FCAC plays pretty good baseball. <laughs> it had a couple <laughs> of teams win titles yeah. uh, for openers. Um, yeah, the other thing, again, pitching was just so dominant over the weekend, and and, and that was one of them. And um, 
you know, you watch the game, and it, it, it was played before the smallest crowd, which which I found kind of surprising. I mean, these are Class L schools, and, you know, they had prime time to play. I mean, it was a weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was kind of surprised that they drew maybe 500 or so, um, which for a high school baseball game is kind of pretty good, but uh, in the weekend events, it wasn't. And, and you just watched it, and you kept on, I kept on watching him saying, they got to be better than this. I mean, somebody's got to score some runs, you know. Yeah. And it just kind of never happened. And um, it was probably the most one-sided 2 nothing game I've seen, you know, if yeah. that's possible. It just seemed like, like the other guys just couldn't do much. And, yeah. and uh, entertaining, close. I mean, you're always a bloop and a blast away from a tie, but the bloop and blast never happened. Yeah, certainly uh, the the pitching, and we'll we'll get to that a little bit later here. But uh, pitching certainly was a lot of the story uh, for the four games, and certainly was as well for the class double L champion uh, Amity uh, outlasting Southington in another strong contest. What was the story of uh, of that game from your perspective? Well, again, I, I think this is you know something that maybe isn't the game itself, but the atmosphere is tremendous. There were twenty two hundred people who paid their way way in to see this. And and to have the place full, to have, you know, three or 400 people sitting in the football bleachers in the outfield because the rest of the place was jammed, was tremendous. And mm-hmm. the enthusiasm of the fans was great, particularly the students from both schools. Uh, you know, it's funny, you said in the press box, you sort of gauge enthusiasm by audience response to what you play, the village people's YMCA and the PA. <laughs> You know, it's one of the things you kind of look around and say, well, they get involved. And all the kids were up and singing, you know, and doing the YMCA stuff. And I just, the atmosphere was great. I mean, people had to park in Baltimore to get into the ballpark. <laughs> yes. Yeah, to park a long ways away. Uh, but nonetheless, I just thought the atmosphere there was great. Um, and I thought clearly the best team won. I thought the best team of the whole weekend was Emory. Yeah. Uh, they, were, they were just terrific. Yeah. Because Southington is very good and... And the kid just stopped in the cold. Uh, Florida not to give up two hits. Yeah. One hit, I, I forget. I mean, they, the games kind of run together. <laughs> um, you know, well, when you're, you know, you're announcing, you've got official scoring, and one game's over, quick, you've got to get lined up to the next game. You go back and say, gee, who was that kid? Yeah. But uh, I, I thought the atmosphere for that game was great, and that's a credit to the two towns that really turned out to support their kids. Yeah. Were, uh, you talk a little bit about the uh, the Amity Hurler who uh, who had such a big game. Were there any other particular players uh, or, or performances that, that stood out to you over the course of the weekend? Again, I think the kid who pitched for Oxford, Kyle Chidopa, I thought he was tremendous. Uh, again, as I said to you, Cromwell didn't play well, but, but you know what? A lot of that is credit to the other team. Mm-hmm. Um, so Cromwell made an error or two and gave a couple of runs. But you look at the scoreboard, he didn't score any. Yeah. And it, it, you know, and it's very hard to win. As John Sterling in the Yankees says, it's hard to win if you don't score. That's true. And, and I thought the Chidoba kid was excellent, but I thought another part of the thing that Again, you lose track of names, but mm-hmm. but you don't lose track of the middle infielders for Oxford. I mean, this this oh this kid named Steve Mahoney, the second baseman, and the shortstop Dale Keller. Boy, they play very well up the middle, and the strength of any baseball team is up the middle. And yep. I mean, they made plays at second and shortstop. I turned a double play to get out of a bases loaded jam with one out. Um, another another player, kid. One of the infielders, I forget which one, I think it was the second baseman, dive behind second baseman, just flips it to the second baseman to get a bang-bang force play. Uh, I was very impressed with the, the the middle infield play of Oxford. You know, 
you, you look for artistry. I, I'm, again, I'm a baseball guy. I've seen a zillion baseball games, probably 1,500 major league games. I'm a Yankee season ticket holder, you know, so you, you get to where you go to games and you don't just watch the batter. You, know, you look around and see things. And I just thought that the, the middle infield for Oxford was as good as anybody I saw all weekend. I mean, I'll give it to Amity being the best team. You know, played maybe a tougher schedule. Boy, those kids in the middle and this kid Chidoba, they can play for me anytime. Yeah, certainly uh, some impressive some impressive defense from the, the games that I saw and uh, and jumped out at you all weekend long. And we talked a little bit about uh, the defense and the pitching. Uh, it did seem to be a, a weekend dominated by pitching. Obviously, you've uh, covered a lot of these events. Were you... Uh, were you a little surprised that there wasn't a bit more offense, or is this sort of what you expect once you get into the championship that maybe the the pitching is going to lead the way to uh, to the titles? Well, yes and no. And we've had championship games that which a lot of runs were scored. I remember in in 2012, Cromwell won the title, beating Derby 12 to four. You know, so yeah, you expect more, but I think a couple things conspired this year. I think the rainout on Friday. Uh, made a difference because it gave two teams two more days and it gave two other teams one more day because we only could play two games on, on Saturday. Right. And and I think that made all the difference. The, the uh, Mr. Horrigan, I forget his first name, for the coach for Oxford said we got really lucky because if we had to play on Friday, we couldn't have used Chidoba, mm-hmm. their ace pitcher. And, and I think what happens is when, when that happens, when you get an extra day or two, then what happens is maybe the best team doesn't win. I'm not saying the best teams didn't win, but, but the team with the best pitcher then wins. Yeah. And, and I think that made a difference. So in light of the delay, I was not surprised because everybody came back with their aces. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I'm a guy, I'd like to see the games a little closer together so that a team has to use its number two guy every once in a while. Uh, the way the tournament's set up, you know, if you get a bye first day, you can you can generally run your number one guy out three out of four times. Yeah. Um, and I think that's what happened. And so in light of that, I wasn't surprised. But normally you see some runs scored. Normally you don't. Yeah, certainly uh, did did seem that the uh, the events allowed for for schools to to uh, have those aces ready to go. So as you said, uh, you've covered this event at Palmer for a number of years and uh, very familiar there. And you also cover other championship events, uh, CIAC championship events in your capacity with uh, the Middletown Press. So you hit on this a little bit, but what do you what is it that you enjoy about this championship in particular uh, that sort of makes you want to be affiliated with it and uh, and come back year after year? Well, a couple of things. First of all, I love I love to do public address announcing. Mm-hmm. I don't know if the people here like to hear me, but I like <laughs> to do it. And, and I've been doing it for a long time. And, and I, you know, I really enjoy that. I like being part of the action. And, and I take it very seriously. I mean, you hear me in the PA. I don't cheerlead. I don't do that sort of silliness that you hear in some arenas. <laughs> you know, you try to play it down the middle, and you try to speak clearly and try to pronounce names. A friend of mine who's a PA announcer in, in Bristol has a little motto he tapes in front of it before every game, it says, uh, your job is to inform, not to entertain. And I think he's right. Yeah. Um, so I enjoy being part of it. Second part of it is I'm a baseball guy. I'm, I'm a baseball junkie. So, you know, I really enjoy doing baseball. I like the rhythm of the game. I like the nature of the game and all of that. I'm a high school teacher by trade. I, you know, I did that for about a million years. And, um, <laughs> you know, and I loved it. And I loved it. In fact, I still teach in the alternative high school uh, in the evening in Middleton. 
Um, but you know, you get to, you get to cover kids, and you, yeah. and, and, and you can't go wrong doing that, you know. And, and, and there's a, a level of of innocence there, and, and that you don't get in other places. I mean, I'm a Yankee guy. I understand the debate. I have a problem <laughs> with that. But but when you're watching kids play, and, and you run a tape, if you run a tape, at the end of every game, they jump all over each, each other. You know. Yep. It's a cool moment. Yeah. It's a cool moment. At the same time, it's cool that the losing kids are hurt. I mean, that's a life lesson, you know? Life ain't going to always be roses, kids. Yeah. And, and and I think, you know, losing and disappointment and then getting up and going about your business is good stuff. And, and it's funny. I think adults suffer more when the kids lose. The kids will lose a baseball game and they're shattered. But they're 16, 17 years old. An hour later, they're having fun with their friends. Yeah. You know, and, and if you understand that, I think it even gives you a greater appreciation of the amateur sports, whether it's you know high school, legion, or whatever it is. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, it's certainly, you know, I, I think it's great, uh, you know, with the baseball. And obviously, the rain disrupted things a little bit. But, you know, you can show up for that first game on, on Saturday and buy a ticket and just uh, park yourself for, you know, six or seven hours and, and get a, a full day's worth of baseball. It's certainly a... Uh, a lot of fun, and we uh, appreciate the folks who uh, at Palmer Field for for hosting a great event for us. So, Jim, we uh, we thank you for your time. Even as a Red Sox fan, I will. Uh, and it's happy to have you on the phone here and uh, to talk a little baseball. So we appreciate it, and uh, thanks for your insight on the championships. Uh, my pleasure. Thank you, Joel. Our thanks to Jim Bransfield for joining us to talk a little CIAC baseball. Certainly a great weekend of championships there as well as, as it was across the state. We congratulate all of the champions. As I said, we'll be back next week to try and dive into some of the championships that we didn't get a t- chance to discuss on this week's podcast. Just too many spring sports champions and too many great stories to get into but in one episode. But we will be back again next week, so keep an eye out for that. We'd like to thank all of our guests and encourage you to keep track of all of their great work. Joe Morelli from the New Haven Register you can follow him on Twitter at NHR Joe Morelli or check out his work online, nhregister.com. Uh, Kimmy Guerin, of course, we thank her for being with us in a very busy week. And uh, you can follow her exploits at Wake Forest next year as she represents uh, Connecticut at the collegiate level. Uh, from the Westport News, uh, Doug Bonjour. Westport-news.com and Twitter at Doug Bonjour is where you can find him. And then, of course, Jim Bransfield at MiddletownPress.com. Check out his Monday Musings columns, one of my favorites to, uh, to keep track of during the school year. Always some great stuff from him as well. So thanks to all of our guests. Of course, you can keep track of everything going on with the CIAC at CIACsports.com. Follow us on Twitter at CIAC Sports, on Facebook, facebook.com slash CIAC Sports, and you can email the CIAC cast with the email address CIAC cast at CAS. CIACcast.org. Too many I's, too many C's and S's in there, but CIACcast at CASCIAC.org if you want to get in touch with us. Thank you for joining us once again. Have yourself a great weekend. We hope you will be back with us once again next week for another edition of the CIACcast.